Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money. We look at the stock market and some of the factors that make it go up and down. We look at economic indicators and what they mean. We look at financial legislation and how that impacts your money. In the Plan Your Prosperity section, we look at different financial planning topics in more detail. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy section, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. The easiest way to do that is go to the website askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and then click on the contact link. That contact link will give you the opportunity to type your question in, and then hopefully I can answer it on the air. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. This is for the week ending January 25th, 2019. And overall, it was a flat week in the market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 0.12%. The S&P 500 went down 0.22%. And the NASDAQ went up 0.11. So basically, the stock market was flat. We've had a lot of volatility, both with China and the tariffs, with the government shutdown, with other economic data, some economists who are projecting a recession sometime in 2019, 2020. You know, so the, the news of the day makes the market go up or down, and sometimes by very wide swings. But generally, this week, at the end of the day, when you had the ups and the downs, it was flat. Gold was up 1.65%, March crude oil was down 0.81%, and the 10-year Treasury yield continues to rise. It went up 5.68%, but the yield is only 2.761%. So that means if you're looking at a new Treasury, the yield is 2.761%. If you own bonds already, remember that as interest rates rise, the actual principal value of your bond drops. So if you've got bond funds as rates are rising, it's not unsurprising that the bond funds are going down a little bit in value. The trick is to also watch the yield. Anytime you're looking at a bond fund, even more importantly than a stock and its dividend, it's looking at the bond and its yield. And many times when we look at a chart, we're just looking at the price of our mutual fund. Sometimes the charts include the dividends, but many times they don't. So it's very important not to just track the price of your bond mutual fund, but also to look at the yield. In a perfect world, what you'll find is a parity. So if your bond fund goes down a little bit, the yield's gone up a corresponding amount. 
where it can get weird is if this gets out of sync. If the bond fund starts going down more as a function of market action because everybody sees their bonds going down and they panic, and so they sell, and so now you get the market driving the actual fund as an entity itself down, where the bond itself went down but as a function of yields going up. So bond funds are kind of tricky to make sure how they're doing. And it's very important to look just one step below at the surface. You know, look under the hood. Look at what's going on with the yield in your fund. Look at what the price is doing. Make sure there's a parity, and that'll really help you understand what's going on in that side of your portfolio a little bit better. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today is January 28th, and the government has reopened. It reopened um, late on Friday, and so today is the day that the government workers are back and able to go to their jobs. And this is really also breaking a stalemate in what's going on in Washington, D.C. We hope. You know, there's a chance there's another crisis February 15th, but hopefully that doesn't happen. But as a result, if there has been any financial legislation, it's really gotten buried so far below the surface that I don't have anything new to report this week. There may be stuff going on, and as all of the hoopla about the government shutdown kind of fades a little bit, and there's other news stories that break to the surface, I may discover something that very purposefully was done while none of us were looking, but for right now, I don't have that. So what I thought we'd look at instead today, since we're just now coming on to tax season, is looking at some of the important parts of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act as you're trying to get your taxes together so that, you know, if you're using a piece of software or if you're working with a CPA, it will make it easier for you to understand what you're looking at. And the first really important thing to know is all of us will see some tax savings in lower tax brackets. Now, depending upon what your adjusted gross income is, they may or may not be as obvious, but at this point, the brackets are lower, and so you will get some tax savings for that. So make sure that you're looking at things as kind of a financial planning note here. If you're trying to decide this year, it's too late for last year because pretty much everything has happened other than you could make an IRA contribution. But you want to know what the tax brackets are and what the income levels are to fill them. Because if you're trying to decide whether or not to do a Roth conversion with your IRA, you might want to plan it so you stay inside certain tax brackets so that you don't convert too much and suddenly pop up because there's a 10% bracket, a 12% bracket, and then a 22% bracket. And if you could stay in the 12 and not jump to the 22, that'd be great. Now, if you get to 22, the next one's 24. Not a big deal, right? But then you go from 24 to 32. 
And for most of us, we're not likely to get to the 32% bracket unless we're quite wealthy. The adjusted gross income beginning of the 32% bracket is $315,000. So I'm not going to take it higher than that to talk about the planning strategies, but always do any form of taxable event with an eye to the tax code because we have a progressive tax system. And the more you can say in those lower brackets, even if something like a Roth conversion takes longer, it might be in your best interest. Certainly talk to your planner, talk to your CPA, see if it makes any sense. Now, we do have much higher standard deductions than we did. And so that's really great. You know, we had the married filing jointly was $12,700. Now it's up to $24,000. The problem is there is no longer a personal and dependent exemption. So you're no longer able to subtract money for each person who's inside your household. This causes the impact of the standard deduction to not be as great as if they had left you the exemptions as well as the deductions. You know, for married filing jointly, I think you're up about $4,000. The downside to this, and we're going to talk more about this later in the show, is that it becomes harder to itemize when you have such a high standard deduction. And whether or not you can itemize doesn't have anything to do with the fact they did away with the exemptions. So the deduction is great, but getting rid of the exemptions, especially if you have two or three children, you can very easily be less well off than you were before. Now, people talk a lot about the mortgage interest limits and they're, you know, people are panicking and you'll hear on the business channel, oh, you're limited in how much mortgage mortgage interest you can deduct. Well, you are. This show comes from you from beautiful Oklahoma and the property in Oklahoma is not terribly expensive for the most part. The property in much of the United States is not terribly expensive. So the new rule says that rather than being able to deduct up to a hundred thousand, up to a million rather mortgage, now it's just $750,000. So if you take a mortgage for more than $750,000, you can only take the mortgage deduction on the first 750. So if you bought, say, an $800,000 house and for some weird reason financed the whole thing, but let's make the math easy. So for that last $50,000 of mortgage, you would not be able to take the mortgage interest deduction. How much impact does that have on most people who are listening to me right now? Yeah, not much, unless you live on the coast, unless you live in an expensive area. You know, unless you're really wealthy and buying a major piece of property, you know, then it becomes a deal. Even then, you can still deduct the first $750,000 of mortgage interest. So don't panic too much on that. The bigger one that can impact people is on the state, the local, and the property tax, and that's now limited to $10,000. I can imagine scenarios in Oklahoma where that does become a thing because that's quite a bit of limitation as to what you conduct 
for, pe for people on the coast, this is really catastrophic because the property taxes are high. For people who live in states that don't have state income taxes, a lot of times your property tax is very, very high. So state, local, property tax limit $10,000. There are some other random things. Um, probably the one that needs to be called to your attention that might impact you is the loss of miscellaneous itemized deductions. Now that's on the second page of your 1040 form. And where this really messes people up is unreimbursed business expense. So in the past, if you did something and it was work related, but you weren't reimbursed at work, you're able to deduct it. Along with many other deductions that fell under the miscellaneous um, deduction category, you can no longer deduct this. It also is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to deduct a home office when you work for someone else. Now, this is also messing up people who are self-employed because if you have a business office for your business that you own, then that is deductible as a business expense. But if you were keeping a home office and you have another employer and you have another office that you go to, it's not likely that you'll be able to take the deduction. So it really pays this year to take some time, get with a CPA, do it quickly. It's the end of January. CPAs are just about to lose their mind, but you're going to want to look at things, make sure you're good, make sure everything's organized. And if you do that, your taxes shouldn't be that complicated to do this year. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and today we are going to talk about wills and probate. So we're going to look at some estate things today, and I want to make it very clear, I am not an attorney. In fact, I have a funny story about that to tell you. I must have been 10 or 11 years old, and I had decided that I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up. And so I wanted to read law books, right? Because what 11-year-old doesn't want to do that? Don't make fun of me. And the only book that was on our home bookshelf was a big giant book called How to Avoid Probate. Well, it was a law book. It's like, okay, well, I'll read that and get a jump on that for those sixth grade law classes that I'm going to be taking. And I tried to read it and I couldn't read it because it was really boring. Really, really, really boring. So... That was sort of the end of my legal venture at that point in time. Ultimately, I opted not to be an attorney, went into finance, which is how I'm here. But I want to talk about the importance of understanding this, and I want to talk about the importance of working with an attorney. Because things in your estate can get super complicated, and even within just the state of Oklahoma, very rapidly estate stuff can become a monster. 
at a nightmare. There's a reason they tell you not to give legal advice if you're not an attorney. That's because many times the advice is wrong. So I'm going to give you some general information. This is just educational. It's things that I think you need to understand. If you do not have a will yet, you need to go to an attorney. I would also like to just generally caution against the will kits that you see on TV or that some people offer. The biggest danger with a will kit is that you don't necessarily know the language to use to trigger the right set of responses from the software. I've seen this a lot when I've tried to do my taxes in TurboTax. And, you know, I do a lot of tax planning and I do a lot of income tax research. And so sometimes TurboTax will ask me a random question, like maybe a vehicle I've used in business. Do I plan to replace the vehicle? Well, what's weird is if you say yes, you go down a rabbit hole you are not anticipating to go down. The first problem with estate software is going down rabbit holes you don't understand. Then the next risk is that there's a change in the law that's not reflected in the software, and there may be other monsters you're creating when you decide to go do it yourself that you don't even know you're creating. So, you know, I'm not trying to drum up business for attorneys, but really, truly, it makes sense to go talk to an attorney. They do this stuff all day, every day, and it'll help you out a lot. So the problem comes in, there's two big issues with what could happen when you die. And all we're looking at right now is what happens to your stuff. If you die without a will then you die with a legal term that is called intestate, I-N-T-E-S-T-A-T-E. And it means that you've died without a will, and it means that the state is going to decide how your stuff is distributed. And states have very specific people that inherit your assets. In today's world of blended families, second marriages, domestic partnerships, all of the things that make things complicated, even parents living longer, it may very well be that you've been married once, but you've got an elderly parent who doesn't have as many assets and you want to leave stuff to them. So it doesn't even have to be a second marriage for this to all blow up. But the state has one way that the assets pass, and it may not be what you want it to be. So it's really important to get a document like a will in place so that your final wishes can be followed. But a will may or may not be the end of the story. Because when an asset is in a will, it is still subject to probate. The non-legal definition of probate that I'm going to give you today, and again, talk to your lawyer to get the details, is it's making sure that when you die, everybody you owe money to gets what's coming to them. So that you don't die and leave a whole lot of people out to dry. It's making sure you really own what you think you own and you haven't left a lot of debt. And so it's the settling of your estate. The problem with probate is there's a fee for it. 
The fee is actually not as outrageous as I was expecting it to be when I looked into it, but the biggest problem with probate is it takes time. And so when you're trying to get assets through probate, it may be months before they're available. And if it's months, you may or may not, or the people who are surviving may or may not, have the resources, the financial cash, available to pay the bills while all of this probate is taking place. The other problem with probate is it's very public. And some people don't want their assets divvied out publicly. They don't want there to be an announcement in the paper, you know, announcing basically like the beginning of the probate period saying that, you know, if you if this person owes you money, this is your opportunity to, to come and, and lay your claim. That kind of freaks a lot of people out. So there are ways of avoiding probate. The first way is through a trust, an asset that is held in trust, whether it's revocable or irrevocable, passes outside the probate process. The second is through titling. There are titling mechanisms that have survivorship components. So you hear about owning your house joint tenancy with right of survivorship. That survivorship says that if one spouse or one person who owns the piece of the house dies, then the other person gets that and they don't, it falls outside of probate. You know, if you live in a community property state, this becomes more awkward. Sometimes you don't want to own things joint tenancy. Sometimes there's other methods of titling. So again, the attorney can help you figure out that the method of titling that is available to you, like I said, um, community property states have some funky rules about all of this. So you really need to talk to an attorney about that. And you may or may not want to hold things in joint tenancy with the person you own the asset with. So be careful, but you can, properly titled, avoid probate. And then finally, beneficiary items are outside of probate. So if you have an IRA with a beneficiary or a life insurance policy with a beneficiary, those assets all transfer outside of the probate process. So it's really important to take some time, work this out, figure out how to set things up so that your heirs don't just have a nightmare. Don't try to save $5 today, end up costing people $500 later on down the road. It's really important to do this, talk to people, use professionals, and if you do it, then everything should be able to settle out easily. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And remember, you can send a question to me at askpeggy.com on the contact page. There's a spot to type your question in, and I review those. And then I try to choose things that, that people are asking more frequently. I have had the following question many times, even among people that I've talked to before. And so I feel like this is an important enough question that I want to review it with you. 
And the question is, Peggy, I've heard that I can't itemize my deductions on my taxes anymore. Is that true? The answer is no. That's not true, but let me back up a little bit here. It's usually in the context of itemizing medical bills, which is now at the 7.5% of your adjusted gross income level again, or it's looking at charitable donations. I'm really very worried about this common misconception that I'm hearing because I'm afraid it's really hurting the charities where, you know, sometimes people give to charity out of the goodness of their heart and sometimes they give to charity to lower their taxes. So no, you can still itemize deductions. You can still deduct your donations to charity. Here's the problem. Your standard deduction has gone, if you're married, to $24,000. If you're single, it's $12,000. Losing the exemption doesn't help you out at all. It's not like that's giving you any form of credit. It's just money you don't get. So you still have to have more than $24,000 of deductible stuff in order to take the itemized deduction if you're married filing jointly. So that would include your mortgage interest up to the $750,000. That would include $10,000 state and property tax. That would include your medical. That would include your charitable donations. So it is very possible to take those deductions. They just have to add up to more money. Some people are really angry about this. Well, I can't believe I don't get to take my charitable deduction. I can't believe I don't get to itemize. Now, if you listen to the show, you know I'm not a big fan of a lot of things that go on. However, I have to say that really, if you're getting more money in the standard deduction than the itemized deduction, you're getting a bigger refund. Because they've raised the standard to 24, you get 24 whether you never were able to take an itemized deduction before or not. So from an individual perspective, the raising of the standard deduction limits is nothing but good. Now, I wish they hadn't um, eliminated the exemption, but that's actually a separate deal. You're probably able to take more than you were unless you had a lot of donations. What some people are doing if they can plan their deductions is they're doing a lot of charitable donation in one year and bulking things up to raise it back to the itemized level, and then they're taking the standard deduction the second year. Which, again, this is hard for charities that count on regular cash flow. I'm just hoping that people pretty much split 50-50 because the people who give will be giving twice as much as they were before because they're going to bulk it up into one year and then take the standard deduction the next year. I understand with your mortgage interest, you can't do that. With your, In fact, you really specifically can't do that because people started trying. With your property tax, the paying it early, that's still a little iffy, but from what I've heard out of the IRS is, yeah, no, you can't pay your property tax early and bulk it up into one year either. You know, I think there might be clarification there, but to the best of my knowledge, we don't have that clarification yet. So you haven't lost your ability to itemize your deductions. They've just raised the standard deduction limit so high that you probably can't get there. 
Now, if you're drowning in medical bills, remember that 7.5% AGI rule is in place. And so it's very likely that you can get to the itemized deduction level. So pay attention to that. Don't write it off without running the math. I had someone say, well, should I even bother looking? I said, absolutely. Why would you not bother looking? Take the time, find the deductions, add them up, do what makes the most sense for you so you can maximize everything legally that you're allowed to take. No one should pay any more tax than what is actually due. That's tax planning. And it's very important to remember that. So I cannot believe how fast this show goes anymore. I've gotten better at talking for longer. I'm thinking there'll be more legislative update next week. I'm figuring that some of the dust will clear and I'll be able to see what was really going on for the last month. Certainly, I'll tell you about that. And otherwise, have a great week and I will talk to you then. Bye. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>